let me just once again welcome our guests uh, that are here, uh, first time to fellowship. We are always blessed to have uh, guests here for the first time, and just want you to know that you're uh, you're welcomed here. We're glad that you're here, and we really do hope and pray that you've already been blessed uh, just by being a part of our service and our gathering together uh, today as um, the gathered church, the people of God. We are, we're moving now in our service as we've continued to do many things that, uh, that are worshipful. Um, we continue to worship God through the preaching and the teaching of the word of God and also through the receiving of that preaching and teaching and continuing to trust that God works through this. Uh, this is something that he's called us to do. So we are seri- we're, we're in a series in the book of Acts and we've been working through this. Um, actually, we started it, uh, I think, at the end of January. And um, we're going to finish chapter 16 today, and then we're going to break from uh, the book of Acts and move into a summer uh, preaching series that uh, Pastor Stephen and I have been working on, and um, you'll be hearing more about that next week. But today, as we continue in our study, we're going to look at an event that took a person from the brink of what would really be described as ultimate despair to a place of resounding joy. And as, as many of you know, uh, who, who know me, I'm a, I'm a big sports fan, and it, and it seems that sports has a way of, of kind of doing this, of, of, has a way of bringing competitors to the highest heights only to be brought down to the lowest point possible. Uh, and in, sometimes it happens in literal minutes or, or even seconds. Uh, in, in basketball, a team may hit a, a game-tying three-pointer and that team may be celebrating, and only a couple minutes later after a, a timeout with only a few seconds left, maybe even one and, a half, one and a half seconds, the other team will get the ball, inbound it, they'll hit a shot, and that team that was just celebrating is now dejected, losing in the final seconds. Same thing happens in football. You could drive the 70 yards in the final you know, uh, two minutes of the game. You, you have the lead. Um, and you give the ball back to the other team, and you only have to hold them for maybe 40 seconds, but you can't do it, and in the final seconds, they kick a winning field goal, and now you're the loser, and that feeling of euphoria is gone. In baseball, it happens very quickly. Bases are loaded. You know, the, in the ninth inning, you strike out the next two batters. The pitcher's feeling really good on top of the world even. But then the next pitch, it's a game-winning hit, and you're walking off the field, and in a matter of seconds, from what you felt as a winner is gone, you lose the game. And life can, and can certainly give us situations like this, where, where in one moment, we feel on top of the world. Things happen, and, and you feel that way only to find yourself in the lowest valley just hours later, or you know, days maybe. And in our text today, we, we see a situation that is similar to this, except in this case, the despair is first and the joy is what follows. And, and so even before we get into this today, here's, here's what I want to just ask you to do, no matter where, where you are today, what your circumstance or situation is, whether it's at the highest height or the lowest low, as you come in today, maybe it's somewhere in between or somewhere, you know, in that, in that range uh, between the highest and the lowest. 
my encouragement is that the Lord has hope for you today through his word and through the truth of his word. So let's pray and ask God to guide us and direct us as we seek that hope. Lord, we, we acknowledge that in life there are many ups and downs. And depending on the day, even right now, many here may, may sense that they're in different places on that range, whether it's the highest height of feeling great or the lowest of not or somewhere in between. And Lord, I pray that through your word and through what you have preserved for us, your people, through the word of God, that you would bring hope to your people and that hope would be found in you. So we thank you in advance, Lord Jesus, for the work that you do. We give you the praise for it in your name. Amen. So we're in Acts chapter 16, and uh, last week we studied and looked through verse uh, 24, and as we looked at the account last week, we saw a slave girl uh, with an evil spirit that was, that was freed, released uh, by, by Paul uh, as he prayed in the name of Jesus. The owners then of this girl uh, were upset because that was a source of income for them, and so they went to the city magistrates, and they accused Paul and Silas of violating Roman law. And so Paul and Silas were arrested. They were beaten badly and thrown into prison. And this is where we pick up today. And the first thing that we see as we pick up today in verse 25 is that they were rejoicing with praise while imprisoned in chains. Rejoicing with praise while imprisoned in chains. About midnight, verse 25, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. So Luke starts, as, as, he, as he moves on in his narrative, by telling us that it is now midnight in the prison, and Paul and Silas are having a prayer and praise service in the prison. And, and most likely what they're singing are psalms. Psalms that they have learned and, and put uh, to music and are, and are probably lifting up these psalms to God. Now, the condition of this prison should also be understood uh, by us because it wouldn't be something that maybe typically we would, we would know or understand. You should really think more of a dark dungeon type of place. These men have open wounds from their beating that have been left untreated. And they're thrown into this dark, dirty place. The prison would have looked something like this. If we put up here on the screen a photo for you, the one there that you see here to the right is an actual photo of a Roman prison. And obviously the, the picture to the left is more of an illustration of uh, what Paul and Silas, uh, their situation would have, would have been like because their feet were placed into the stocks is what Luke tells us. And these were devices that were both for security and for torture. They weren't just for security. And I don't think they were actually as nice as it's pictured there. Because many times uh, there were many holes across the wood so that they could actually put the legs in at different angles to create pressure on the joints 
to make it very uncomfortable, very painful. So this was not a praiseworthy situation to be in. That's, 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 that's just an honest assessment, right? No one, none of you would be in this situation and say, boy, this is, this is just so awesome. We should just stop and praise God right now, right? We have situations like that, right, in our lives where we are like, man, this, what's happening right now, what I'm seeing, what God is doing, it's just so awesome. Let's just stop and praise God. This is not one of those, at least not what I think one, any of us would describe, yet that's what happens. Here they are in the middle of the night, and they are praising and singing to God. Think about that. They are singing. I was, I was just, as I was studying and thinking about this, how convicting it was to just think about our experience, right? You get up in the morning, and, you know, how do I feel? Do I feel okay to, you know, am I going to go to church? Am I not going to go to church? Am I up to going to church? How late was I up last night? You know, how, how good of sleep did I get? And then to come into this place, to this gathering of believers, and we gather to sing, and the worship team is up here, and they're leading us in singing, and somehow to be able to gather in this place and not sing as if we have nothing to sing about. May God help us, right? Have mercy on us to think about this situation of singing when they have nothing to sing about. That is not our situation as we gather and yet, for many of us, it's hard to even think about singing and rejoicing in God. Luke writes this in a tense that indicates that the singing and the praising is happening continually. He doesn't write it as a, he doesn't really write it as a single event. He writes it as a, a, a continuous event. So this isn't like, don't, you know, don't picture a situation like we would have today where, you know, Paul would, uh, would say, let's do some singing. Come on, Silas, I'm going to take a selfie of us. We're going to post it and say, you know, praising Jesus while suffering in prison, you know, so that everyone can like it and share it. And then after we do that, we'll just be miserable about it. But what we portray to everybody else is that, we're awesome, uh, you know, going through this. No, that's not what this is. They're not looking for the praise of men here. They were praising God. They were praising God. And, and notice that Luke tells us what the other prisoners were doing. They were listening. He tells us that. We've learned as we've read through Luke, right? We, we've read a lot of what Luke has written. We're learning a little bit about how he writes. He doesn't tell us everything. We, we've learned that. He tells us certain things. Well, he tells us they're listening. It's midnight in the Philippi dungeon cell, and the prisoners there, most of which I think we would all agree are not the elite of society in this place. They're listening to a duet concert by Paul and Silas. Two men who are beaten, wounded, falsely accused, and secured in painful stocks, yet they sing 
and they praise their God. So that's the first thing we see, is rejoicing with praise while imprisoned in chains. And then we see divine intervention through power over nature. Verse 26, and suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bonds were unfastened. So Luke tells us that suddenly, and the way he writes the suddenly is is in the midst of the concert, in the midst of the singing, in the midst of the praise. In the midst of the praise, there was this great earthquake, a significant earthquake. The reason we know that it was significant is because of the the adjective that Luke puts there before it. He doesn't say just an earthquake. He says there was a great earthquake. It was so powerful that it severely shook the foundation of the entire prison and the jailhouse that these men were in, it was was rocked so hard that the prison doors, the, the doors flew open and the bonds that were fastened to the walls broke free. And so what we see is that God was literally shaking the earth to set his witnesses free. Literally shaking the earth. Now, we've, we've been working through this book. So we know in Acts chapter 12 that God sent an angel, remember, to free Peter. We studied through that from prison. Peter was in prison. He was freed by an angel. Here in Acts 16, God doesn't use an angel. God uses an earthquake. God can use whatever God wants to use, right? And what it proves is that God is sovereign over heaven, over earth, and over nature. And that's what he's demonstrating. He can send angels from heaven, and he can control nature in such a way. He is the sovereign God of the universe. So we see this divine intervention through power over nature, and then it moves on. And we see the jailer hopelessly seeks to take his life. In verse 27, when the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing something, that the prisoners had escaped. Now, the jailer, we have to understand this, step back from the narrative a little bit. The jailer would interpret the earthquake differently than Paul and Silas would. He's not going to interpret it the same. Paul and Silas knew this is the work of their God, the one true God. The jailer is a Roman pagan. And a pagan would see this quake as an expression of anger from one of his gods. It was often thought of for, for the Roman gods to be angry would be displayed through some of nature, whether it would be lightning or thunder or a storm at sea or an earthquake. And if this Roman god was freeing the prisoners, then it must mean for this jailer that the gods are angry with him, the jailer. So not only is this jailer in trouble with his Roman officers, for the fact that prisoners are going to go free, but the gods are also conspiring against him. This is what he'd be thinking. 
This is how it would work for him in his understanding of things. And, and so the jailer knows that death and humiliation await him because that's the penalty for prisoners escaping while under your guard. These prisoners are under his guard. So if they escape, he loses his life. So he plans to take his own life. This is an act of ultimate despair and hopelessness. He's, he, is, he is at a place of ultimate despair and hopelessness. The jailer sees no way out of this situation. And notice he's not just threatening here. There, in fact, there is no threat. We have, we have no record. Luke doesn't give us any record of, that he's threatening to do this or that he's even crying out for help. He, had his, he has his sword drawn. He's ready to do this. This is the only answer that he can see. And then the jailer finds hope in the good news that these missionaries proclaim. So look at what Luke tells us next in verse 28. But Paul cried with a loud voice to make sure that the jailer heard him. Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. And then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? So this is, this is the narrative, and we're very familiar with it, probably most of us. But let's break it down a little bit. Before the jailer can harm himself, Paul is crying out in a loud voice so that the jailer knows that we're all here. We didn't go anywhere. Paul, Paul knows somehow. Now, what we don't know, again, this is what we've been studying as we've studied the book of Acts. We don't know certain things that Luke doesn't tell us. He doesn't tell us how he knows. We don't know how he knows. He knows. Paul, Paul knows that he's going to harm himself. And, and he says, don't harm yourself, we're all here. And so at the lowest point of the jailer's life, he hears the voice of a prisoner that he has treated like garbage, like subhuman. And that voice is the voice of hope to this jailer. And so the situation is not as hopeless as the jailer thought. The prisoners did not escape after all. His life will be spared. And so what does he do? He calls for torches or lamps to be brought in. Now that indicates for us that it must have been dark, which again brings into question how did Paul know? Because it sounds like the prison was in probably ultimate darkness after the earthquake. So this, this prison is in darkness, and, and so the jailer asked for the lamps or the torches to be brought. And Luke tells us that the jailer rushed in. So he's, he's, he just got up. He was, he was you know, just in, in a sleep and, and wakes up to an earthquake and then rushes in to see where the prisoners are. And then notice what Luke tells us next. It's a key phrase in this text, in this whole narrative. Trembling with fear. Just, may want to just, in your Bible, either put a line, circle. It's, it's probably not a phrase you maybe have paid much attention to in, in this narrative, but it's a very important phrase in actually understanding what is happening here. Trembling with fear. The jailer fell before Paul and Silas. So, we've got to answer the question, why is the jailer trembling with fear? 
he already knows that they didn't escape. The ultimate despair that he had of losing his life has actually already kind of been relieved. They, they didn't escape. He can see them all there. He's heard Paul's voice. Why is he trembling with fear? Again, an important question that we should understand. Follow, follow me on this so that we're, we're, you're tracking with what's happening. Initially, the jailer thought that his pagan god was the cause of the earthquake. He thought his god was punishing him by freeing these prisoners. But once Paul said, they're all here, something happened with him. Something happened with the jailer. Something changed. And what changed is that the jailer had a spirit-inspired realization. Spirit-sourced realization. If it was not his pagan Roman god doing this, then it must be the god of these missionaries. And their god must be the one true god. There was a realization happening in moments for him. And just like that, in a moment, the jailer had come face to face with the one true God. In the darkness of the jail, just follow the irony in this, in the darkness of the jail, he saw the God who was light. That's what happened. And he knows now. Wait a minute, their God is the true God. And in that realization, trembling with fear before this God. Because what happens when you come face to face with God? You don't come face to face with God and your pride goes up. No, you fall. You, you, you recognize your place before the one true, holy, powerful God. And he fell down before them and he uttered the only words that he could muster after this realization took place with him. And what, was, what were those words? What must I do to be saved by this God? Not he, he's not looking to be saved by the pagan Roman gods. That's not what he's looking for. He wants to be saved by this God, their God. An important part of this narrative is understanding what is happening in the heart of the jailer. Next we see that the jailer and his household then believe the gospel and all are saved. Verse 31 and they said, this is the response uh, that Paul and Silas gave. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. You and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And then Luke tells us that he took them the same hour of the night, washed their wounds, and he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them up into his house, set food before them, and he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. So what is the answer to his question? The answer to his question is what must I do to be saved by this God? And their answer is 
believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. In other words, whoever believes can be saved. Whoever believes. So what does this reveal about how the one true God saves people? Well, Luke doesn't tell us this explicitly, but it is very clear in the text that the one true God saves people through his son, the Lord Jesus. Believe in him, you'll be saved. That's how it works. What does Luke say next? And don't skip over this part. Paul and Silas spoke the word of the Lord to the jailer and to all who were in the house. So, he didn't just say, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. He started there. He gave them the basics, but he moved on from the basics and, and gave them more. He spoke the word of the Lord to them. Further explaining, what does it mean to believe in the Lord Jesus? What, 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 what's his story? And they spoke the word of the Lord to them. Luke doesn't tell us what. He's done this before. Luke has done this before, where he's given us a generality, but we, can, we know enough of how Paul has spoken that he probably shared with them the gospel, the story of Jesus coming to earth as the God-man and living a perfect life and giving his life on the cross and rising again. And so the jailer then took Paul and Silas, washed their wounds. The jailer and his household, family, which the household there would refer to his family, that was under his care. He was the head of the household, and under the head of the household was anybody who was in the house. That's how it worked. Whether it be servants, family, and all of them believed and were baptized. All who believed in the Lord Jesus, all who heard the word of the Lord. Because Luke is very clear. They spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in the house, meaning they heard the gospel. And so again, what we see is belief in the Lord Jesus, hearing the word of the Lord, then baptism. What we practice here at fellowship, we call it believer's baptism, but it's basically that's what it's meaning, that you, it's believers who have trusted in faith in Christ, then following the Lord in baptism. And then what does Luke tell us next? He tells us about Christian hospitality. We've seen this theme come up before in Acts. The jailer brought Paul and Silas to his home. He shared a meal with them. And he helped to clean their wounds. So, so think about what happened here as, as you step back again. And sometimes that's what you need to do when you're reading the Bible and you're reading the scripture. You don't just blow through it. You, you read, you stop, you reflect, you ask God to help these truths sink deep into your mind and in your heart. But you step back and say, okay, what just happened here? How did the perspective of the jailer change? Think about that. How did this perspective of the jailer change? Verse 27, the jailer was at his lowest point of life and he was ready to take his life. He, he saw no other option. By verse 34, this same jailer is rejoicing. Same guy. 
Why is he rejoicing? Luke tells us that. He rejoiced that he had believed in God. Now, why would that be a big deal for him? Because he realizes that he now knows the one true God of the universe. And that is worth rejoicing over. You see, sometimes we are just not impressed enough about what God has done for us. We take it for granted. And that's not what's happening here. They're not taking it for granted. When was the last time you just said, I want to rejoice in the fact that I believe in the one true God because of what God has revealed to me about himself? That is worth rejoicing over. So what happens next? Paul and Silas are released from prison with the magistrate apologies. We see that in verses 35 through 39. A lot happening here in these verses. Luke tells us that the next morning the magistrate sent word to the jailer to release the prisoners. Now you can imagine the jailer the next morning is pretty excited about that, right? I mean, he just got saved. He washed their wounds. He gave them a meal. And now he's found out that he can actually free them. And they can be free. So the jailer's thrilled. And he told Paul and Silas, but Paul, Paul goes, no, nope, we're, we're not going anywhere. And the jailer's probably like, okay, what's going on? Well, we're Roman citizens, and we've been mistreated against Roman law. Now, a Roman citizen is entitled to a trial. There's no trial here. That didn't happen. They were flogged and beaten, which is actually not supposed to happen to a Roman citizen, especially under Roman magistrates. So actually, the irony of what's going on in this story is that Paul and Silas are in jail for violating Roman law, and it's the magistrates who have violated Roman law. Not Paul. Not Silas. But you see, God is not so concerned about that. He knows the law better than anybody. He knows who's violated what. But he has a purpose for Paul and Silas being where they are. So the magistrates, they do not want a problem with Rome. And they find out that Paul and that Silas are Romans. They don't want a problem with Rome. So they came down to the prison. Literally came down to the prison and apologized to Paul and to Silas. And then had them released. And they asked them, these magistrates asked Paul and Silas to please leave the city. Would you please just leave the city after the apology? Now the question that we have to ask ourselves is, okay, why did Paul do this? What is the purpose for which Paul did this? And, that, and that's really what what Luke doesn't explicitly tell us, but again, we can draw from understanding what's happening here in the narrative. Two main reasons that I want to give you that Paul did this. First one is that leaving the prison with the magistrates publicly made it known that Paul and Silas were actually innocent and that they did nothing wrong. So you, you could imagine the optics of this. Paul and Silas leaving the prison with the magistrates gives the, op, gives the 
the optics of, well, they must not have done anything wrong. Second and more importantly, Paul, by doing this, was securing the safety of the church and the remaining Christians in Philippi. So by, by doing what he was doing, Paul was, was making sure that the Christians in Philippi, that the city leaders knew they can't just persecute these Christians without cause, or there could be a problem with Rome. And so I want you to just think about that, that even in this last act with the magistrates, Paul is thinking of the local church. He has the church in mind. And he wants to make sure that they're cared for and protected. And then how does Luke conclude all of this? Look at verse 40. So they went out of the prison and visited Lydia. We're back to Lydia, where we started. And when they had seen the brothers, they encouraged them and departed. So what do we have here? Well, the Christians are all gathered at Lydia's house for Christian fellowship together. And I don't know if you realize what's going on here, but this is, what's happening here, is this is a new church plant in Philippi. That's what just happened. A church just got planted in Philippi. And these are the believers that are going to make this up. Lydia, a pagan seller of purple, was the first convert. We learned about her. Maybe the slave girl who was once indwelt by an evil spirit, maybe she's there too. We know that the Roman jailer is there and his family and his household and his servants and any other converts that, anybody think that Paul and Silas didn't have any other converts? You know, I'm thinking there's other converts there. And so what we see here is the first church in Europe. Not what we would maybe expect the first church in Europe to look like. Lydia, slave girl jailer but this is how God works it's his plan right his design and I want you to think about this because this is what's so great about the book of Acts is it actually helps us understand the letters better when Paul wrote these words in Philippians 1 this is the church he was writing to We've all read the, the book of Philippians, and there's many great, many great uh, verses in there that, that we all know. But I want to just put up verses, uh, Philippians 1, 1 through 8, just so you can re hear this uh, from the perspective of what we, just, what we just learned. To all the saints who, in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, this is, this is again written to the church in Philippi. This is the church that we just read about with the overseers and deacons. So this letter that Paul wrote, the, the, the letter of Philippians, we're probably talking 10, 10 years or so later. Now they have overseers and deacons. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. When Paul says, I remember you, he's talking about what we just read about in Acts 16. Always in every prayer of mine for you, all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. We've been partnering in gospel ministry from the first day we met. I remember all of you. Remember you, Lydia? I remember the jailer by now with a name. We don't have a name, but we had, I'm sure he had a name. And I'm sure of this, verse 6, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. 
We've quoted that verse, you've probably quoted that verse a million times. Did you know that Paul wrote it specifically for this group that we just read about, this church? And it is right for me to feel this way about you all. Because I, because I hold you in my heart, he said. Because you're all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. Paul loves these people. What an amazing testimony of how the Lord Jesus builds his church. This letter that we refer to so often, you have the verses probably on plaques on your walls. They're all over different Christian homes, businesses, a lot of, lot of, lot of verses from Philippians. We have verses from this letter tattooed on our bodies. You've, I've probably seen, you know, Philippians 4.13 on more than any, tattooed more than any other. You know, you can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. For me to live as Christ, to die as gain, Philippians 1. Rejoice in the Lord always. And this letter was written to this beleaguered group of Christians in Philippi. So much here for us to think about and apply to our lives. So much. But what a picture of how God is sovereignly building his church. So, I want to give you two things to think about yourself and just as you want to apply some of the many things that we can learn from this text. And the first one is this. Praising God is not dependent on circumstances. Any amens to that? Are we okay with that? Not dependent on circumstances. It's dependent on the faithfulness of your God. The circumstances of the dungeon hole in Philippi were not praiseworthy. And so I want to ask you a question again, similar to what I asked you earlier. Are you facing something in your life that you would describe as not praiseworthy? I've got a not praiseworthy circumstance, Pastor Mark. I don't, I'm not asking for you to tell me what it is, but we, I'm sure that they exist here. Here's what I want to encourage you to do. Praise him anyway. And watch him work in and through that praise. The earthquake came in the midst of what? Praise. Praise in a not praiseworthy situation. Not praise because this was so awesome, but praise because God is great. And he deserves to be praised. And we trust him. We don't know what's going on here, but we trust him. He knows what's going on. Second, no matter how bad it seems, you must believe that Jesus can take you from hopeless despair to joyful praise. You want to know, this, this sounds so basic that it may not even make much sense, but I'll say it anyway. The hopelessness of despair is sourced in the lie that there is no hope. Well, it kind of makes sense, right? Hopelessness. But it, but it needs to be said that the hopelessness of despair 
is sourced in the lie that there is no hope. But there is hope. It only took an earthquake, but this jailer went from the lowest despair possible to genuine rejoicing in the God who saved him and his family. So no matter how bad it may seem, you must have faith, must believe that your God can take you from the lowest hopelessness of despair and he can raise you, he can do it, to joyful praise. So no matter what circumstance uh, that you're facing seems to have you in despair, no matter what, no matter even the stronghold in your life that maybe you've been dealing with, you must believe that Jesus' name will break every one of them. You see, when you really step back from this text, the glory of this story is it's not the earthquake. As, as amazing as that was, it's not that the shackles fell off of Paul and Silas in the midst of an earthquake so they could be free. No, the glory of this story is that the jailer who did not realize he was in shackles was freed and saved through the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that same gospel is available to you, to all of us. We simply need to call upon the Lord to believe in his faithfulness and his goodness to us. So I hope that this text and this study of Acts has been encouraging to you. I've learned a great deal myself just looking into his word. May we continue to be encouraged by it. Let's pray together. Lord, Lord God, thank you that we as your gathered people, as we are here this morning here on Hildebrandt Road in Dallas, Pennsylvania, that we can say that we are right now worshiping the one true God of the universe. We say that with certainty, not doubt, because you have told us in your word that we can know these things, and that you have come so that we might know these things. Thank you for the saving power of your gospel, Lord Jesus. And I pray for those that are here today, no matter what circumstance they're in, if there are those feeling at that one end of hopelessness, Lord, may they find in you hope. And bring them, Lord, to a place of praise. Help us to be able to trust you, Lord. Help us to be able to call upon you and to believe that our Lord Jesus is powerful to free us from whatever wants to hold us in bondage. Because it is through Jesus that we have been set free. So we thank you, Lord God, for, your, for the power of your word. Continue to speak to us now even as we continue to call upon your name. In Jesus' name, amen.